pastor's text this morning is found in Matthew chapter 14. Again, you can remain seated. It's a little lengthy. But uh, just because you're seated, don't get comfortable. Because God wants to do a work in the house through His Word. Again, Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. And it says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. And this is John the Baptist, he told his servants. He has been raised from the dead, and that's why supernatural powers are at work in him. For Herod had arrested John, chained him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Since John had been telling him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to kill him, he feared the crowd since they regarded him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday celebration came, Herodias' daughter danced before him and pleased Herod. And so he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. And prompted her, or prompted by her mother, she answered, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And although the king regretted it, he commanded that he be granted because of his oaths and his guests. And so he sent orders and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. Then his disciples came, removed the corpse, buried it, and went and reported to Jesus. Lord, we ask your blessing on this word this morning. We pray that hearts and lives would be touched and changed according to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into the word, also I got a little bit of a video here of one of my grandsons is uh, out shopping with his dad, and uh, this is what men do when they go shopping, so it's okay uh, when you go shopping. I know we don't like it, but we'll show you what men do when we go to the malls. Uh, usually we sit on a bench or we do stuff like this, and women wonder why they do that kind of a stuff. But I want you to see my little grandson, and you got to pay, don't, don't keep, keep your eyes on him, because something happens that may, you might be surprised. <laughs> You're a dork. Uh, you thought it was Jed, didn't you? Well, it was Andrew. So that means that everything that always looks a certain way doesn't mean that's the way it always is. Okay? How many thought that was Jedediah? All right. Well, man, this, are y'all asleep out there or did y'all already know this thing? Amen? All right. We're going to get right into the word of the Lord this morning. Those of you that may have missed any of the last three services, I urge you to go back and look up at those messages because we started a series on a dream where the Lord had visited with me. And those of you that are here and may not understand all of the message today unless you go back and listen to some of those. But in that dream, there was competitive voices in the form of seven women that was out to silence the voice of God within our lives. And in the first sermon, we used John chapter 4 concerning the woman at the well as our text, which was linked to the dream. And, and even though we take a different text, or we're going to be taking a different text each Sunday to reveal each one of these women, yet we're also going to be referring back always to John chapter 4. So keep that in the mind as we go through the Word of God, because they seem to be all linked together and tied together. This is especially true today concerning the two women that we're going to be revealing in our text in Matthew chapter 14. Last week we talked about Sapphira and the spirit behind her. How many enjoyed that message or understood 
that message about Sapphira. So much of the time we read those kinds of things, we don't even pay attention to who they are and what, what's behind them and what they mean. But each one of these women represent a spirit that is out to silence the voice of God and to stop him from being manifested within our midst. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the manifestation of the presence of God that we already felt here this morning and seen and witnessed here today. Would you give God a hand clap of praise for that? It's mighty important that we understand that we are blessed people when God manifests himself. These seven women, and each of them representing the spirit, remember that, are used as deterrents to try to stop us from getting in the presence of the Lord. And the enemy will do anything he can to detour you, and excuse me, from entering in and living in the reality of the presence of God in your life. These women are used just like Pharaoh's magicians in Exodus. When Moses threw down his rod and it became a snake, even so the magicians threw it down and it became a snake. And these seven spirits are the counterfeits that is out to counteract the manifestations of God's spirit in these last days upon the earth. They are used to draw our attention away from the presence of the Lord. They are out to hinder, to impede, to obstruct, to block, to restrain, to inhibit us from being, a, being able to discern what the presence of God is like. They are out to arrest us by captivating us with their seduction of, of, their, of these spirits. And the word seduction is something that you got to understand. It, it happens slowly, cleverly, crafted, it's planned, and it begins to seduce us to where we cannot recognize the manifestation of God in our midst. And these spirits are very, very real and they're very, very powerful. And we need not as a church or as a people of God to take them for granted. How many knows that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and against spiritual wickedness in high places? You and I are really up against some mean spirits in these last days. They will do anything they can to stop us and block out any of God's influence in our life. And we will introduce two of these ladies as we walk through our text in Matthew chapter 14. And in our text, we are introduced to a man by the name of Herod. And even though he is called king in verse 9, yet verse 1 gives a more accurate detail, account, uh, and a correct title to his name. As a matter of fact, he is Herod the Tatra. The title used here means one of four rulers. This, of course, is speaking in reference to his father and to his brothers. You have Herod Antipas of our text. He's the ruler of Galilee and Pereira. And you have Herod the Great. He's the father of them all. You have Herod Archelaus in scripture, his brother who ruled over Judea and over Samaria. And last you have Philip, the half-brother of Herod in our text, who was ruler over the Gentile territories on the fourth side of the Jordan River on the, on the northeast of Galilee. So the term used here to describe him meant a ruler of the fourth part of a territory. Now some of you are saying, why do you even have to put that in this sermon? Because we're headed somewhere with it. Let me just build a case here for just a little bit and we'll get into what the spirit is actually saying to us. So the term used to describe him meant a ruler again of the fourth part of a territory. He fits the role of a governor more than he does a king and the title king was most likely given to him by himself. He titled himself that because he, you know, because of his ego. He is known as Herod Antipas and he was the son of Herod the Great who had appointed him in his position. Herod in our 
Artex married the daughter of Arctus, the king of Arabia. But he left her for the sake of this woman in Artex by the name of Herodias, who happened to be his half-brother's wife, Philip. And Artex reveals that John the Baptist reproves Herod over him leaving his wife and joining up with this Herodias. In Matthew 14 and 4, it says, For John said unto him, It is not lawful for you to have her. In other words, John comes up to Herod and says, What are you doing, Herod? It's not lawful for you to take your brother Philip's wife as your own wife. What you are doing is forbidden. As a matter of fact, he gets up and stands in his face and he tells him, Adultery is forbidden here, Herod. And John criticized him for violating law by him wanting to marry this woman by the name of Herodias. It took great courage on John's part to stand up to a ruler who held such a high position in the land. And not only was there a sin of adultery involved here, but the relationship is much more complex and disturbing than what we can ever even imagine when you study this family. Herod the Great, the father of all of the Herods, and Philip married several women who had seven sons. And matter of fact, Herod Herodias was the daughter of one of those sons, and she ends up marrying two of those sons. So are you understanding what has taken place here? This means that Philip, her first husband, and Herod Antipas of our text, her second husband, both of them actually were her uncles. So we see incest in this family. She divorces Philip, marries Herod, who are both of her uncles. To show you how twisted and how out of order this family is, Herod the Great, the father of them all, out of the seven sons that he had, he gets, he's so paranoid that some of them are trying to take over his office that he has three of his sons killed. And what is so interesting is there are remaining four sons. Two of them married Herodias, and the other one married Herodias's daughter, Salome. So this means the very spirit that we are dealing with today from these two ladies is the same spirit that controlled and was manifested in the homes of the Herod family. It's the same sins that was prominent in these homes of Herod is the very sins that is manifested in these two ladies right here in this 21st century. Let us meet Herodias and let us meet this woman by the name of Salome, her daughter. After John the Baptist confronts Herod and rebukes him for him desiring an adulterous affair with Herodias, the Bible says that he bound him and he cast him in prison. Here's John being thrown into prison for truth's sake. And folks, if something don't change, we may begin to see some of that in America as well because there's such an intolerance for truth. But what we really have to see here is the true spirit that is motivated behind the imprisonment. Verse 3 gives us some clarification. It says, For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. So this tells us that the imprisonment was not of Herod's own making, but it was because of his wife Herodias. She puts pressure on him and says, buddy, you better do something with that man, amen? It was Herodias that got furious with Herod and, and got upset with John for John for confronting them with truth. She did not want to hear truth. She did not want to adhere to the truth. And a matter of fact, when John confronted her in the book of Mark, the Bible says in Mark 6 and 19, therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him 
him and would have killed him, but she could not. We don't know exactly why she couldn't because, number one, Herod would not allow her. And number two, maybe she just didn't have the ability or, the, or, or, or maybe uh, she was shut down. But nevertheless, she had such a quarrel against John the Baptist that she wanted him dead just because he rebuked her for, for her trying to commit adultery. We are living in a time when people are intolerant to truth. We are living in a time when people are intolerant for the message of the gospel of Jesus to Christ to be preached with power and authority and truth. We're living in a feel-good society. How many knows that? And here we see that John the Baptist, was tr they were trying to shut him up because he was a man that would not water down the word of God. And we see that Herodias must be quite persuasive to have him put into prison in the first place because we understand by scripture that Herod had a respect and a certain honor for John the Baptist. Mark chapter six, verse 20 says, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man, a holy man, and he even observed him and when he heard him, he did many things, and he heard him gladly. In other words, the only reason that John was put into prison in the first place was to please his wife Herodias. Because John looked at, Herod looked at John and said, he's a holy man. He's a just man. He had honor for him. He had respect for him. But Herodias was throwing such a fit, he somehow had to please his wife. Herodias' name is the feminine name of Herod. Her name means the member of the Herodian family, but it also means to tremble or to be afraid or to flee. Notice that Herodias only marries or attaches herself in the bloodline of the Herodian family. She married Philip, Herod, the great son, then divorces him, marries his other son, Herod Antipas of our text. Her daughter then marries the other son of Herod the Great. This is to keep protocol for, to the governing affairs and behavior that follows the rules and the systems of governing in the Herodian family beliefs. In other words, this is the spirit. This is what you got to understand. This is what God wants to drive home today. The spirit behind Herodias is that if you don't agree with her, if you oppose her beliefs, if you oppose her ideas, and if if you don't like her systems in which she operates, then you don't have the right to live. This is the spirit of our age. Are you listening to me? We are seeing it come to pro pro into prominence. Herodias is a spirit that imposes its belief on another and takes the right of individual expression away and wants to take free speech away from individuals. She demands your attention and commitment to what she stands for. She demands you to think like her, act like her, and believe like her. There's no room for disagreement. There's no room for diversity with this woman. She is stubborn, She's self-willed and she's out to legislate her beliefs and ideas by placing them on others. I just heard someone says, you're describing my wife. Amen. I think it come right over here somewhere. Is, is that you, Gary, who said that? I'm kidding. The truth of the matter is we are seeing that spirit right now in our political world over America. Amen. They are intolerant to anybody's beliefs but themselves. And if you are disagreeing with them, you are going to be charged with a hate crime just because you hold to a different opinion. That, my friend, is the spirit of Herodias. 
This is her idea in the first place. You don't agree with me, I'll have your head cut off. You don't agree with me, I'll have you murdered. I'll have you killed. I'll slander you. I'll ruin your reputation. I'll do whatever I got to do. But I'm going to silence the voice of truth. And right now we're having preachers going under assault. I just heard the other day of all of these different preachers where their people are just spurting out and, and just poisoning their communities, trying to bring down the influences of the preachers, trying to murder their influence because they do not like the way that they're preaching. They're standing up for truth and the spirit of Herodias is rising up like never before, coming against preachers and teachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, trying to silence truth in our generation. God forbid that this happened. Can I have an amen? We also have seen the spirit of Rose for many years in the church organizations. Even though we cannot patronize sin, 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 and if we see sin, we gotta be a John the Baptist, we gotta point out and say that's wrong. However, we have to accept diversity in the body of Christ when it comes to non-sin issues. Can I have an amen? The spirit of Herodias has killed more churches due to churches not being able to bend or to be flexible. We're kind of like the children of Israel. That The description of the children of Israel in the book of Hebrews saddens me. God himself calls them his own children, stiff-necked, rebellious, and stubborn. And because of their stiff-neckedness and their stubbornness, they're not able to bend, they're not able to be flexible. He said they die in their wilderness and their carcasses are buried there. Churches all across America has had their growth stunted due to being non-willing to change and to adapt to, to changing societies. And one of the way, and one of the very reasons that Herod had three sons killed in the first place is because they had a different opinion on how he should rule. And their diversity got them killed. Herodias was a woman that was brutal. There was, she was one to be feared. Her wrath would cause anyone to fear to the point of trembling and fleeing. She'd already had murder in her heart just because someone like John the Baptist rebuked Herod for him wanting to marry her. She wanted John dead, but Herod would not kill him, it says, because of the fear of the people, the multitude. You have to give it to Herod here. At least he stood up against this spirit the best that he could. Even though he caved in and had John the Baptist be uh, imprisoned, yet he did not have him beheaded. And the difference between a Sapphira and Herodias is this. Sapphira is out to stop you from obtaining truth, while Herodias is out to murder the truth that's already within you. A big difference. Sapphira is out to keep you ignorant of the truth, while Herodias is out to get you to reject the truth that is known. Sapphira is out to get you to sin. Herodias is out to get you to transgress, which is a, or trespass, which is of a greater sin. The Bible says that a person that sins shall be beaten with stripes, but the man that transgress, he's going to be beaten with many stripes because he didn't know what to do good and do it not. It's a greater sin to him. Can I have an amen? There's a difference between Bob here sinning ignorantly and finding himself coming short of the glory of God, which we all do, but there's a difference in him to know this is wrong. I know it's wrong. The word of God is declared, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. That's transgression. And this is what Herodias is trying to get the church to do, is to transgress against the truth that is known. Herodias is out to silence the voice of truth. She's out to try to get you to abandon truth. She's trying to get you to compromise, to walk away, to deny it, to shy from it, to compromise it. She's out to put up as much pressure upon you as possible to get you to denounce the truth in Jesus Christ. She will do anything to do it. Matter of fact, she will go to any length 
for you to forsake the word of God and to surrender to her competitive voice of reason. This is happening all across the marriages, all across America in our colleges. It's scary what's taking place in our universities. Liberal professors persecuting Christians for their beliefs by giving them bad grades because they hold to a Christian point of view. That happened to one of my own daughter-in-law. She was telling me how it happened. These professors also ridicule Christians, embarrass them openly in class, picking on them, making fun of them, mocking them, and attacking them simply because of their faith. They constantly indoctrinate with them with their philosophies. And many times, the only way for you to pass this professor's class is to hold to his viewpoints and adhere to his doctrine. However, Herod does not give in to Herodias' pressure to have John the Baptist, the voice of truth, silenced. There was, so now we have a problem. Herodias is mad. How would you like to live with Herodias when you wouldn't obey her? She's mad, she's upset, she's mean, she's brutal. And this is where Herodias comes up with a scheme. This is where Herodias' daughter comes into play. Herodias' daughter is named Shalom. Her name means peace. Now, don't you find it kind of interesting that her, her name means the exact opposite of her mother's? Herodias, who names means fear, trembling, and fleeing, while Shalom's name means peace. Now, this is how clever and seductive the enemy is. The most important thing that we have to see is that fear and trembling partners up with peace. Them are oxymorons. They don't go together. How many knows that peace and fear don't go together? Well, let me tell you, you got them together in the form of Herodias and in the form of Salome. So if they are coming together and if they're coming under a partnership under the same umbrella, what does that tell you? That there is a false demonic, uh, demonic peace out there. It looks like peace, it feels like peace, but it's not peace. It's a destructive seduction that is out to destroy your life. Can I have an amen? Herodias partners up with her daughter for the common goal of having John the Baptist's head. I want to tell you something, folks. They got the same goal. Herod, Herodias, and Salome are out to do the same thing, kill and silence the voice of truth by the name of John the Baptist. Herodias and Salome act as one. Notice this. This is very interesting because in the initial part of the dream, at the first part of it, I thought to myself, there were seven spirits because there were seven women, and each one of them women represented a spirit. However, the Holy Spirit began, as I began to pray and work these things out, the Holy Spirit began to interpret the dream more and more by revealing to me different things throughout the coming weeks as I studied. Actually, there were only six spirits because Herodias and Salome were of the same family acting as one. They're partnered up. And as I said in the dream, the second lady... And the third lady had strong resemblances of each other. And even though they were not twins, yet they looked a lot alike, having the same features and the same mannerisms. The gestures were the same. Their expressions had great resemblances. You remember me saying that about the second and the third lady. And I didn't understand it when I first seen it. Their hair color was the same. The only difference was their age. Uh, one was older than the other. The younger then was a product of the older. This is a part of the seduction as well. Even though they were only one, yet they wanted me to think that they were two 
to complete what we would call the number seven. Now, some of you are going to sit here and not get this part, and that's okay. But those of you that understand the prophetic uh, indicators throughout Scripture, you're going, to, you're going to appreciate this next thought. They wanted to be counted as two in order to complete the number seven so that it would appear that they had a prophetic indicator behind them. It would bring a validation and create the image that what they were doing was backed by and validated by truth. You know, one of the things the enemy's trying to do is the very thing that they're intolerant of, of by faith, is that they're trying to even use scripture and to somehow twist it as if the validation that they're doing is the voice of truth while we're a bunch of idiots that have a hate message to a people. Let me tell you, folks, the church of the living God is under more attack now than it's ever been in its history. In America... Can I have an amen? It would appear that these two women had the earmarks of God's stamp of approval upon them. Therefore, they falsified prophetic voice and they appeared as angels of light when in reality they were wolves in sheep's clothing. The number seven is God's number. It's the number of completion. And wherever you see it in scripture, it's an indicator that something is of a prophetic nature. Now, isn't it odd when these, three, these spirits manifest themselves? Do you remember when Jesus just like the traveling preacher in the dream who stopped by the convenience store to get refueled and refreshed. Isn't it odd when, what time that Jesus chose to go get refreshed when he sat down by the well of Samaria? The journey that this preacher was on, he got tired, he got weary, and he stopped by the convenience store. We already preached on that because he wanted to get refreshed. He wanted to get refueled. Well, Jesus stops by Jacob's well there at Samaria, because the Bible says that he was weary and he sat down. Folks, you can say whatever you want to say, but I'm here to tell you that the times of refreshing that shall come from the presence of the Lord is not only important, but it is vitally necessary for the survival in these last days. You and I cannot afford to miss the opportunity time to meet with the presence of Almighty God. Can I have an Amen. We need times of refreshing that can only come from the presence of God like Acts says. We need the spiritual baths from God. Has there ever been times when you've just had God come down and it just seemed like he cleansed you? Just his presence just is so heavy that you just, you just sit there and wept. You just sit there and cried. You just sit there and you felt him. And when you got done, you just felt like you had a spiritual bath. We need that kind of a presence. We need the outpourings of the Holy Spirit. We need the supernatural encounters. We need the spiritual experience. We need the manifestation of his presence. We need the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the things that is enjoyable is to know that when I do wrong, that the presence of God is there in a convicting form because it lets me know he's still with me even though I've messed up. How many knows that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is necessary? You can't even come to God without that. We need the stirring, the quickening, the holy unction of the Holy Ghost. You and I need that. We need the divine visitations. We need God moments. We need the suddenlies like the book of Acts chapter 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rush. We need those moments when God just whoom, moves into the sanctuary. We don't need to despise them. We don't need to quench them. We don't need to reject them. We don't need to quench the Holy Ghost in these last days. We have to have his presence. We have to take our time in the house of God and enjoy the presence of God. 
We need the times of the glory of God. Just like when Solomon, the priest, was there to minister and could not at the dedication of Solomon's temple because the glory of the Lord was too strong. I'm waiting for the moment, and it's going to happen right here in this church, when I try to get up and preach and I can't because the glory of the Lord is so heavy upon God's people that they're prostrated in the floor and men and women are crying and weeping weeping, and snot is going out their noses and the women's makeup is all beginning to smear and they don't care because the presence of God is so great and so magnificent and so wonderful. It's coming. But don't think. Yeah, stand up to your feet give the Lord praise for that. He's coming. Give him praise for it in advance. The other day, I'll just give you a little bit of a glimpse. I just seen a short vision, and I don't see very many visions and dreams, but I want to tell you here lately, they're just coming, and I can't help it. And I wish the Lord would quit meeting with me at night and let me be meet with in the daytime. I'm wore out. It's at nighttime he's visiting with me for some reason. Maybe I'm too busy during the day and I'm not paying attention. I don't know, but he knows how to get my attention at night. But I had a vision the other day of just people just everywhere in the sanctuary. They were laid out everywhere and people were crying and weeping and you couldn't even minister to them. It's like the Lord just says, leave them alone. They're under my power. And I just felt helpless and I walked out in the foyer and I thought, what in the world's going on here? They were stacked up like cardboard down the hallways and down sea and out in the foyer. They were laid out in the spirit. And I thought, dear God, and the Lord said, if you'll look outside, you'll see the same. For my glory is coming, saith the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. So we understand the manifestation of God's spirit is on the rise as well. But we need to be aware of these competitive voices. We need the transforming, the renewing, the cleansing effect of the presence of God in our midst. We cannot and we will not make it against these ladies' seductive voices and spirits if we do not have a regular manifestation of God's presence in our lives. You never get so spiritual, so mature that you don't need him. Years ago, we had a Sunday school teacher when we first started. A Sunday school teacher came and we put her into position. She's a good woman. But she made a statement one time I didn't agree with in class. She said, you know, the reason that they see manifestations of God in great, in great supernatural ways in the third world countries is because them people are not mature and they don't know God like we do. And therefore, they need them and we don't. And a man, I looked at her and I said, whoa, I'm the pastor. I'm young. I said, hold on here. I think you're Aaron not knowing the scripture because I want to tell you something. I can't walk across this room without him. And I told her, I said, without him we can be nothing. It's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by his spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. I want you to know, Psalm 1611 says, Thou will show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there's pleasures forevermore. I want you to know the path of life is found in the presence of God. Can I have an amen? I like what Isaiah said. Isaiah said, I can't face these spirits alone. It's what Isaiah said. He said, I can't fight the seduction by myself. I can't afford to be estranged from the presence of God. I can't fight these spirits on my own. God said finally to Isaiah in response to all that, in Isaiah 43 and 2, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Through the, river, through the rivers, they shall not overtake thee. When thou walkest through the fire, they shall not burn thee. Neither shall the flames kindle against you. I like what Moses said in Exodus 33 and 15. If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up. If your presence isn't going, I'm not going. God, if you don't go, I don't go. That's how important the presence of God is in our lives. 
I need him when I wake up. I need him when I get up. I need him when I go forth. I need him when I come in. I need him when I lay down. I need him when I fall asleep. I want you to know I need him in the morning. I need him in the afternoon. I need him in the noontime. I need him at nighttime. I need him in the good times. I need him in the bad times. I need him at all times. Can I have an amen? Psalm 68 and 2 says, as smoke driveth away, drive them away. He says, as wax melteth before the fire, so the wicked perish at the presence of the Lord. It's only by the presence of God, the scripture says, that the enemy can be driven away and the wicked perish. So I say unto the congregation here at the palace of praise, arise and shine, O God. Let your enemies be scattered. Let the presence of God be felt. This is why the psalmist said in Psalms 84, verse 10 and 11, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents with the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. In his presence, I will know he's shade in the sun. He's a canopy in the rain. He's a light in the darkness. He's a shield in the war. He's a wellspring of life in the desert. He's a lily in the valley. He's a manna in the wilderness. He's a covering in the cold. He's a breath in the lungs. And I want you to know he's life in death. Let us praise him. I like what the psalmist said. In Psalms 34, 1 through 3, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord and the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord of me and let us exalt his name together. We are to praise the name of the Lord. Would you lift your hand and praise him right now? Oh, hallelujah. I want you to understand what's taking place where we're at. I want you to understand this. Notice that it was at the sixth hour that Jesus sat down on the well and confronted the lifestyle of the Samaritan woman. Also notice that Jesus confronts this woman in the area of calling for her husband. He said, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, of a truth, you have said, you don't have a husband. But I say to you, you've had five, and now you're living with the sixth one. Notice that this woman had already had five previous husbands and now she is living with her future husband, which will be number six. There's that number six again. The number six is the number of man. The number seven being the number of a prophetic indicator. So this tells us that Jesus came to confront the woman at the well that has been controlled by these six spirits. She's already had five husbands. Now we can reverse it in a dream. It could have easily been a woman being seduced by a man. They're spirits. Are you with me? This woman had already had, lived, and was, and was deceived by five relationships with these men, and now she's living with a sixth one. All of a sudden, it dawned on me, it is not the seductive spirits that's combating the manifestation of God, but it is Jesus that has manifested himself at the sixth hour, the last hour before completion, the second coming of Jesus Christ, to combat the six spirits that's going to work in these last days. In other words, you can silence John the Baptist if you want, but the voice of truth is not silenced because here comes Jesus and Herod says, that must be John the Baptist raised from the dead because look at the miracles he's doing. Hallelujah. This woman had already been seduced by five spirits, and now she's being seduced by the sixth one. And the reason for the manifestation of the Spirit of God is for 
it to come against the last day manifestations of these spirits. We know that in the last days that the level of seduction is going to accelerate. We know it by scripture, 2 Timothy 3.13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. In other words, the people that are going out here deceiving, they're even going to be deceived by their own deception. In the last days, hell is unleashing every imaginable form of seduction possible. The goal of the enemy is to take us out. 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because you're ever saying the devil is walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. John 10, 10, the thief coming out but to kill, to steal, destroy. And even though Salome's name means the opposite of Herodias, yet don't be fooled. Because if the enemy can't get you one way with fear, threat, persecution, intimidation, he'll get you another way. The enemy never gives up. He's always got a, a plan, a scheme. The spirit of Herodias and the spirit of Salome is out to get you to commit spiritual adultery. That's the spirit behind them. They are trying to get you to have intimacy with something outside of Christ as a believer. The very seduction Herodias seduced Herod by in the natural is the same seduction that she's out to get us with in the spiritual. Her goal is to try to get you to link up with her Buy into her belief, get buy into her charm, and become one with her. Notice that the woman at the well was married five times, but was living in adultery at the time that Jesus deals with her. Physical and spiritual adultery is the goal of Herodias. This woman had digressed from marriage to adultery. Herod, Herodias could not persuade Herod to have John killed, so she makes a scheme with her daughter, Salome. Salome's name means peace. Herodias and Salome kind of play the good cop, bad cop syndrome. You've seen that in shows before. The bad cop that represented Herodias, she'll go in, she'll inter interrogate you aggressively, she'll intimidate you, she'll use fear tactics, making threats, trying to break you, trying to crush you, trying to cave you in. But if that don't work, if the interrogation tactic doesn't work, the fear tactic don't work, then comes sweet, pleasant, peaceful Salome. She begins to pamper you and promise all kinds of things to you, telling you she's on your side. She's trying to convince you she's your friend. Well, all along, she has the same go as Herodias. Notice the way Salome works. She comes and she dances in front of Herod. She entertains him. And I'm sure that her entertainment was erotic, I'm sure that it was seductive in nature. It, I'm almost positive of that. Her dance was a dance of deception. And we're living, folks, right now, you and I, in an entertainment culture. People are hooked on entertainment as, so, as much as some people are hooked on drugs. It possesses people's lives. Our young people are ate up with it. They can't... They can't have an attention span for five minutes without getting into some kind of a gaming or some kind of a texting or some kind of a Facebook or something. They got to be entertained by something all the time. Can I have an amen? There are grown men and women that cannot live a day without some kind of a form of entertainment. There are many that are obsessed with it. And even though entertainment is good and healthy at times for a person to find rest and enjoyment and pleasure, yet excessive entertainment can extremely absorb one's life. Now watch this. 
We're living in a culture that demands constant entertainment. We also have to realize that most forms of entertainment was produced by people with worldviews that are contrary to Christian beliefs. More is known about entertainment stars and sports figures than the disciples among believers in the American church. Many can tell you the names of a whole team, but they can't tell you the 12 disciples' names. Shalom used entertainment to create a diversion. Over a period of time without realizing it, folks, all of us, me included, we have watched and we have listened to more ungodly stuff than what you and I can have ever have imagined. And if the forefathers that were before us would see it in the form that we've seen it in, they would have recognized it as seduction and you and I have not recognized it. And slowly over the years has crept into where it's become the norm. Hello? The stuff that we have fed upon has been presented to us in such a seductive way to where it came so subtle that we never even took notice of its effect. How many of you ever seen the 1916 movies, Dick Van Dyke and them, where him and his wife had two separate beds on television? They never slept together. They didn't want to portray any kind of an image like that to children. Hello? Now you don't only have them sleeping together, you're having them sleep with a neighbor's wife, and it's okay. Hello? Oh, you got threesomes. Come on. Have you ever seen the advertisements? I've never watched the movie, but the advertisements make me want to throw up, called Teachers. Just the advertisement of that show is so ungodly, I cannot believe it, and they're portraying it as the children's leaders that's doing it. Y'all are getting quiet on me. Not only do the entertainers seduce us, but we've allowed the entertainment industry to take our thoughts captive, and we've paid them to do it. And not only do they do it through their movies, but they're also their fame. We've made them popular, and we've made them rich. And then their influence caused people to buy into their worldviews. Amen? Oh, there's a Hollywood star. I want to be like them. We're the one that's supported them to become who they are. I got a deal around my house to where the only movies we'll go see is those that are portraying the Christian ethics and I I am not going to entertain, I'm not going to support Hollywood. I thought I'd get a better applause than that. Why should I give them money to get out and influence my children and poison them with their stuff in order to kill them and rob them? Why should I fund Herodias? This is how serious it is, and we're not even paying attention to it. Some people cannot even function unless they're being entertained. We have seen a shift from a word-based culture in the church to an image-based culture, which has turned everything into entertainment. We have seen Salome in more churches than any other spirit. It demands the church to be entertaining-driven instead of spiritual. People want entertainment more than they want enlightenment. They don't want the voice of John the Baptist. They want a feel-good message. They want to kill a John the Baptist. I'm not a popular preacher anymore. I'm being honest. I'm not very popular. Shalom's desire is to make the church adhere to a man-centered worship instead of a God-centered worship. Shalom wants the church to dance to her drumbeat. Her entertainment included music, a language of itself, a music to create an atmosphere that she wanted to create. I'm here to tell you, 
that Herodias and Salome uses entertainment to arouse sensual and carnal appetites. You better be aware of what kind of entertainment you're allowing to entertain you and your family. You better watch out what you're watching, what you're viewing, what you're listening to in music. Well, everything about it, you better watch it. Because I want to tell you, there is a seductive Herodias and there's a seductive, there's a seductive daughter behind some of that entertainment that is leading us to destruction. Can I have an amen? And not only that, you better watch out that your influence, that your best friend, that your mainstay is not a Siloam. Encouraging you with worldly allurements where it starts out so innocent but it builds up to something else. I don't see anything out with women's night out. Sometimes I tell my wife, go out with the women. Do something with them. Go shopping. But I want to tell you something. Some of the statistics that's out there on the internet about the, about the, uh, uh, the uh, definition of men's night out or women's night out among believers is crazy what they do. Can I have an Amen. Herodias and Shalom are using the amusements of entertainment to dull your spiritual senses and cause you to withdraw your intimacy with Christ and to place your priority and passions somewhere else. And so many people are becoming intimate with the things of the world through entertainment. They begin to accept things that the normal Christian should not accept. Can I have an amen? Movies, media, gaming, and most to sports, then to bars, nightclubs, pool halls, gambling casinos, TV, internet, Facebook, on and on and on and on. There's so many forms to get so seduced by. Herod's conviction softened and his standards were compromised through the seduction of Salome's entertainment. I want to say that again. Herod's conviction softened and his standard was compromised through the seduction of Salome's entertainment. The music soothed his soul. The dance aroused his affections. The excitement manipulated his emotions. And out of impulse, he was overcome with an urge to be spurred to action to make a foolish promise. In the midst of a manipulated atmosphere, driven with an overwhelming urge, it drove him to say these words in Mark 6, and 23. And when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced and it pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou will, and I will give it thee. And he swore unto her, Whatsoever you shall ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. Salome cleverly, seductively, peacefully created a mood through the mode of her entertainment that ministered to all that was in the house. It didn't even only appease Herod, but I want to tell you the Bible says that it pleased Herod and all that sat with him. Everybody liked what she did. Salome's performance caused Herod to act in a spontaneous way. Being moved by emotions, energized by excitement, out of a sudden inner impulse, without premeditation or even taking a thought about it, Herod promises half of his kingdom to someone how in the world could you do that over an impulse? Because he was deceived by entertainment. They interviewed spring breakers that was arrested for doing public sensual and sexual things, drugs and drunkenness publicly, and all, and all other kinds of uh, criminal acts. They asked them, what caused you to do such a thing? Over 95% of them all said the same thing. 
I'm not that kind of person. I've never done anything like that before, and I'm so embarrassed. I just got caught up in the moment. Entertainment just got them caught up. Entertainment will slowly, seductively create an atmosphere to where you will do things you thought you would never do. We have to pay attention what is clamoring for our attention. We have to see what is entertaining us. When Herod began to fulfill his promise, Shalom asked for the head of John the Baptist on a charger. Herodias and Shalom working together as one silenced what seemed to be the voice of truth. The enemy is using entertainment to silence the voice of truth among churches. It's creating false atmospheres, getting people hooked on feelings and driving people to destruction. People are hooked on partying. They're hooked on fun. They're hooked on excitement, thrill, silence, mystery, and they've lost the reality of life, the normalcy of life due to entertainment. We're living in a Cinderella mentality, a fantasy world in the church world, hooked on moods, moved by emotions, driven by excitement, and looking always for something new. Never satisfied, but constantly wanting to be entertained to fulfill that empty soul. Men in their 50s, never being able to come men, still acting like kids. Women in their 50s, reverting back, trying to recapture their youthful passions. They can't handle it that they're getting older and they're going to great lengths to try to somehow bring back their youthful pastors and they get tired of their marriages and they get tired of their children and they get tired of their jobs they get tired of their looks and they begin to go in all these creative ways to make themselves look younger again, to feel good again and everybody else has misunderstood them. That's what's happening to thousands of women today in our society. Why? All because there is a spirit of Herodias and a spirit of Salome that is out there seductively and carefully creating moods, creating excitements, and then you come into the church and it's like that you can't compete with the entertainment that people are desiring because there's no way to be able to give them the fixes that they need every time they're hooked on emotion. Would you stand with me, please? Oh, God, help me. I went slow this morning to try to captivate how serious this is. It's opened my eyes. Folks, these dreams I know is not going to just grab a hold of you. You're going to have to go home and think about it. You're going to have to digest it. But these spirits are real. This last day entertainment push of Salome and Herodias as a very, very seductive thing. Who would have ever thought that we would be having some of the gaming that we have today? And they're finding in Christian homes among children, and you think, why in the world would parents even allow that in their homes? And they're possessed by killing, they're possessed by murdering, they're possessed by spirit things, dungeons and dragons and death. They get their thrills at it. Come on then we wonder why we got warped kids when they get old. We're living in a time where we better wake up because the spirit of Herodias and the spirit of Salome is after us. If Salome can't take you out, uh, if uh, Herodias can't take you out by persecuting you, belittling you, coming against you, and, and, and interrogating you and doing all those kinds of things. If she can't take you out, watch out her daughters on the backside of her heels coming in to smooth you and to calm you and to flatter you and to pamper you and to make you feel what you want to feel in order to be able to get you to create some kind of a, uh, a, a false intimacy with something outside of the intimacy with Jesus Christ. 
to take you, to lure you, to possess your time, to possess your thoughts, to lower your standards. That's what Herod done. He lowered his standards. He would have never killed John the Baptist if it wasn't for Sloan. Never would have done it. But not only did he kill him, he offered her half of all of my kingdom. That's how much he liked it. He was so possessed. He just blurted my goodness. He was willing to give half of his kingdom because she pleased him that much in her entertainment. Father, right now in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray over this congregation. We're in a battle. These influences are strong. They're mighty. These spirits are not to be fooled with. These spirits are to be recognized and called out. And Father, I'm wanting to call them out in the name of Jesus. I call out those spirits as they are. We can't have no Salomes dancing in the church, in the homes, in, in our places of entertainment. God, it's got to be a place that's pure, that's holy, that's good entertainment, that's healthy in, in, entertainment, that's godly entertainment. Father, the things we see, the things we allow our ears to hear, the things that we pay attention to, the things that we embrace, God, we got to pay attention to what we're putting our approval upon. I ask you, God, to just begin to speak to your people. I ask you to bring us into a standard of holiness. Help us not to be swayed in, by the spirit of this age, but help us, oh God, to overcome the spirit of Herodias and the spirit of of Salome in the name of Jesus. Guard your people. Put a seal around them. Protect them. Keep them from falling. Let them be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in the sixth hour and Jesus is here to manifest. Help us, Lord, to see that. Help us to crave the manifestation of the Spirit of God as we crave the entertaining the entertaining seduction that has always lured us into that place that is took away from us that we didn't even know it was taking. God, I pray in Jesus' name, help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches, and let us see the glory of God once more in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this morning. We want you to come out. We're having a panel tonight. We're going to have a, a great time in the Lord. You're going to have a, a panel up here to be discussion about relationships in the presence of God. God bless you. You're dismissed.